0: The Bloody Disgusting Podcast Network.
1: To horror queers it's not a patreon minisode and it's not a regular episode and i'm joe
2: and i'm trace and i think you're just trying to say that it's a regular minisode i think that's i think that's what you're trying to say which we don't really do but we are making a special exception this time Yeah, because we've got the person who created one of our favorite
1: all-time camp classic television shows, as well as the person who co-wrote literally the film that we died gagging over all last year. So, Eric, we're basically welcoming you back because we have questions, and we want to talk to you about Ringer and the Perfection.
0: Ask away. (laughs) Okay, we don't actually have questions. We just want to have a conversation. <laughs>
1: <laughs> let, let,
0: let's spill the tea. Okay,
2: no, 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 no. Okay, so listeners, sorry, we're gonna do the we're, the ringer. We're gonna do ringer first because that's just amazing. Yeah. And mm-hmm. if you want if you didn't watch that and you want to hear about the perfection instead, then um, I don't know. Press that forward fifteen seconds button a couple times. <laughs> so okay, ringer. First of all, Eric, I have to tell you. I am so upset that we did not get a second season. I mean, I'm sure you are because it's like you know you're lively. I am and all. too.
0: We were all devastated,
2: truly. So my my big question though is this: so the show premiered and it didn't. Oh, sorry, listeners. If you don't know, Ringer was a show on the CW with Sarah Michelle Gellar, where she was twins and one of them faked her own death, and she was a huge cunt named Siobhan, <laughs> and it was it was nutty. Uh, it's really famous for this really bad CGI boat scene in the pilot. <laughs>
1: Yeah, which is so unfair because this is back in the day when there was like 22 to 24 episodes in an entire season and people wrote off the show based on bad CGI
2: in the pilot. Like, get over yourselves, people. (laughs) And I don't admittedly know how, especially TV, how that works, how quickly y'all are writing in terms of like what's airing and whatever. There was a change about, I feel, a third of the way through the season where it's like the show really kind of realized how campy it was absurd it was and we should just lean into
1: the ridiculousness of it
2: yes was it critical feedback that kind of led y'all to go that way or was that more of a natural process because i will tell you that i think the first third's fine like when i was watching i was like okay i'm i'm sticking with this for sarah michelle geller obviously but ma'am once that like you get through the first third of that season it is just a fucking delightful bonkers shit show it's so fun
0: well, I mean, it, the the answer to that is honestly twofold. One is like anytime you do a TV show, like it takes a while for you to find your footing, right? Mm-hmm. So like you shoot the pilot and then you hire a writer's room and now you are, you know, delegating different scripts to different writers and everybody is trying to learn the tone and the characters' voices and all that stuff. So in part, that that's what was happening. But the bigger part was... So when Nicole and I had written Ringer, we had written it on spec, which means, like, we just wrote it for shits and giggles, and then we (laughs) ended up selling it. Like, we didn't think anyone would ever make the show. Like, we just wanted to write, like, what we would watch on TV. Mm -hmm. So anyway, we wrote this, and at the time, it was CBS that picked it up. It was supposed to be a CBS show. Which would have been
1: terrible. Such a bad fit.
0: Right, right. I mean, like, we all kind of knew, like, this was never going to be a CBS show, but, like, they were the ones who were paying us to shoot the pilot. Mm -hmm. And as you know, CBS is owned—or CBS and CW have the same parent companies. You know, it's CBS and Warner Brothers, hence the C and the W for CW. So anyway, when we got kind of, like, shuffled over to CW— we had a showrunner at the time that was basically kind of put on the show, like an arranged marriage, if you will. (laughs) Oh, Oh, no. (laughs) Because Nicole and I, you know, we hadn't run a show before, and they wanted to make sure that somebody could kind of like oversee us and balance budgets and all that stuff like you you're just basically thrown into like the deep end of a pool and you're told swim right. even if you don't know how to swim so <laughs> they give you a showrunner who is seasoned and can kind of help you kind of navigate the waters a little bit um We did not get along with the showrunner. And (laughs) I I think by the time we got to episode five or six, there was a giant blow up between us. And I basically said, you're not hijacking the show. I'm overseeing all of the scripts, all of the writing, and it's going to pass through, you know, my computer is the last pass before we shoot it. Mm -hmm. So at that point, I just kind of wanted the show to become what it was always intended to be and kind of by this power play I was able to you know solidify the show that Nicole and I wanted to make and write and shoot and that's why there was kind of somewhat of a tonal shift around episode five or six because that's when Nicole and I just kind of asserted ourselves and just took over the writing at the very least.
1: Now, I'm looking at the cast list. So, people, if you haven't watched the show, so you've obviously got Sarah Michelle Gellar. This is her return, her big return to television after Buffy. She's been off television for quite some time at this point. Filling out the cast, we've got Ian Gruffid from the Fantastic Four movies, Nestor Carbonell from Lost, Zoe Deutsch in an early role. We've got Mike Coulter before he joined the MCU as Luke Cage, Justin Broning... Jason Doring, Jamie Murray from Dexter season two, Andrea Roth.
2: Ooh, I forgot she was in it. <laughs> like, the cast is fantastic. And then. Wait, I was going to say, when it starts getting more ridiculous, like, the names of the characters would get really funny. I swear to God, my husband and I still say Bodaway Makawi, like, all <laughs> the time. <laughs>
0: oh my god yeah i know i mean i think i just googled native american names like we knew what <laughs> what like tribe we wanted him to be from because it was set in wyoming so we were like looking for like indigenous indigenous names in that tribe and and that was that was one of the names and yeah and and the actor that played by the way, uh zahn mclernon i think is his last name Correct. he could not be a more lovely human being i know he was recently in Doctor's sleep right wasn't he one of the yes yeah. oh yeah.
2: yes he was um oh my god he's the one that gets thrown out the car window mm-hmm. yes yeah
0: he's just truly one of the nicest
1: people on the planet and he always plays a bad guy which i find hilarious of course yeah So can you tell us what influences you had? Like, when you talk about what you wanted the show to be, and it was something that you and Nicole talked about wanting to see on TV, are you talking about soap operas? Because there are, like, so many cliffhangers.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, we we (laughs) love soaps. We love kind of neo-noirs. We love, you know, camp. So it was just kind of like putting all of that together in a blender and we loved De Palma like, and yeah. that's how, how Richard Shepard and Nicole and I all bonded initially when we were hiring directors for the pilot, we had met with a bunch of people. Like we had met with, Oh God, now I'm going to of course blink on everybody's <laughs> names, but, but, but big, big directors, like big feature directors as well as big TV directors. And Richard came in and he's like, so I want to do like this cat and mouse sequence from Dressed to Kill. <laughs> and I was like, j- just stop right there. You have the job. And you were like, like, you're like you, 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 j- yeah. <laughs> Angie Dickinson in <laughs> the museum of, I don't know if it was Mocha or. Yes, I what think museum? so. Yeah. But anyway, like it was, I mean, Richard has a very similar sensibility to us and, and he kind
2: of like hit all our sweet spots and. I think when we get to the perfection too, that's gonna really show off because because uh, so, Richard did the pilot for Ringer. Did he d- direct any other episodes as well? It says no.
0: Yeah, he basically is a pilot director, and then we'll move on. Gotcha. I know for Girls, he did a bunch of episodes because you know his wife Jenny Connor was the showrunner, and mm. he just loved doing that show, so he would he would do
2: more you know episodic things than he would normally do. <laughs> I'm trying to think of like some of the subplots. Like the, the one that always, for me, the turning point of the show was always when the Wild Things subplot came in. And oh, I was uh-huh. like, "Oh, they're doing yeah. Wild Things!" <laughs> yes,
1: we'll just rip
0: off that movie. Yeah, any ridiculous like soap. They they called it a soap no-opera because <laughs> it was like, which I thought was
2: hilarious. It's but yeah,
0: I mean, Wild Things is fucking great. It's one of my all time favorite movies. Oh
2: I mean, yeah, if you're gonna homage something, you could do a yeah. lot worse than Wild Things. Yeah, yeah.
1: Okay, so I I feel like we should maybe start to head towards the perfection, but I have to ask, obviously the show was canceled, yeah. but you ended on a giant cliffhanger. So I have two parts. One, yeah. I obviously want to know where you were going to go with season two, but also I need to know if you ever discussed having the two Sarah Michelle Gellar characters, Bridget and... Siobhan Siobhan. meet earlier in the season because I was so mad I spent 22 episodes waiting for these bitches to meet and then it's like you hint that it's going to happen in the season finale because of course that's what you do but yeah did you ever discuss having them meet earlier you know what, we we did, and it,
0: just the whole season arc had gone through so many different iterations, you guys, because at CBS it was one thing, then at CW it was another thing, and it just kept on evolving and morphing, and sadly, that's what you have to do in TV, just kind of roll with the punches, because you have a network president saying, I don't want this, but I want that, so mm-hmm. you have to suddenly, basically scrap, you know, your blueprints and come up with something completely new, right? and Ironically, the the first way that we had envisioned the series and we had pitched it um, was each season would have been from a different twins perspective where season one was all Bridget and you didn't even find out that Siobhan was alive until the end of season one and then season two was all Siobhan and what was Siobhan doing while she was hiding out hoping that her sister would take the fall and then season three the two sisters finally came face to face and it was like the showdown oh my
1: god fuck you for not giving
0: us this right I know I mean and that's what we wanted to do but when it got to CW the president at the time was like no you need both sisters in it and I want them meeting by the end of the season so or Mm. at least aware of the others you know that the other world was alive well
2: because it's so funny because i feel like and again I, I haven't watched it since it aired but like most of siobhan's scenes are just fucking sarah michelle geller on the phone with the worst phone etiquette in the world because she'll just call someone <laughs> be like what is she doing and then just hang up on them <laughs> yeah in paris i think she was always in <laughs> her ain't. one a- apartment wise, building in paris, paris. <laughs> uh-huh, uh-huh. stringing <laughs> along, along poor couch. henry (laughs)
0: and and did you guys notice that like with siobhan we insisted on a side part
1: but with bridget we insisted on a center part yes
0: (laughs) it it was a telltale way to differentiate the two
2: very important distinction the hair tells all (laughs) and my last question before we get to the perfection then um so i'm assuming because i guess the cancellation came after the finale aired so did y'all yes. did they give y'all any kind of word ahead of time like so or, or like was the finale written with the assumption that oh we're hopefully getting a season two
0: no we 100 percent thought we were getting a second season Ugh. had no idea that like we we already had had been working on kind of like a rough architecture for the second season and oh, wow. then we had gotten word that they weren't gonna pick it up
1: yeah, that's I remember really it was it was one of those things where it could have gone either way. Like that's how the trades were reporting it, suggesting right. mm-hmm. the numbers are good enough. And there's a it had developed enough of a cult fan base at that point, And it was creating yeah. a lot of online chatter. And then it all depended on what the new
2: shows that they were developing, like if they were strong enough, they would go with the new. Right. I kind of think that's right. ultimately right. what they ended up with. Yeah, And I think that's what's upsetting, though, is that, you know, yes, it had a rocky start. It, I mean, it was still entertaining, but like, it was not aware of like, what it was. And I think that's what made it even worse when it did get canceled. was like, you know, you have this show that ha- kind of struggled out the gate, but then really came into its own. And it had, by the by the time the season ended, it had this full grasp of what it was and what it wanted to be. And then mm-hmm. boom, it's just, yeah, it sucks. It really sucks. Yeah. But. I loved it. It does, but
1: that's TV, folks. Yes, it is. (laughs) All right. So let's move on to the movies, which are a little bit more Mm -hmm. stable. So you mentioned you guys connected with Richard on Ringer. How did you go from Ringer to Cracking the Perfection, and how did you get Richard signed on to that?
0: Um, I mean, we had developed a bunch of other TV shows with Richard in the interim between the the two projects, Um, and none of them ever just kind of like went to pilot. But since Ringer had ended, we had stayed in pretty close contact with Richard, and either he had a development deal or we had a development deal, and we would always try to loop the other into whatever we were working on. But it was in 2017 he came to – we Nicole and I were at Universal at the time, and we still are. But he came to our offices at Universal, and he's like, so I have this idea for a horror movie, <laughs> but I need somebody to write it with me. <laughs> so um, let me kind of like pitch you just this sequence that I have in my mind. And he – pitched us the bus sequence. Yeah, he did. Uh, (laughs) Literally, the nucleus for the movie was that. Like, none of it was a con. None of it was other than two people on a bus in a foreign country. And this actually happened to Richard, I believe, in Mexico. So this was kind of like building off of that incident and how awful it was just getting sick in another country where you don't speak the language and you're kind of marooned on this bus in the middle of nowhere.
1: So universal.
0: Yeah, it's, I mean, awful. That that sequence to this day, like, I watch it and I get heart palpitations because it's so visceral and intense and it's very upsetting for me. Out of any sequence in the film, that to me is the, the roughest to watch. Mm-hmm. But yeah, and, and The Perfection was originally set in Mexico because, you know... A, we like going to Mexico so we could (laughs) shoot there. (laughs) And and B, that's where, you know, Richard had had gotten sick. So we're like, okay, let's set it in Mexico. And it was when Allison came on that we changed the um, locale to China because she was shooting Lemony Snicket in Vancouver. Oh. And she would shoot that during the weekend. She's like, I can shoot this movie, but I have to do it on the weekends. Oh, God. And I can't leave the country because, like, it's a it's insurance... Yeah, it's too long, and, you know, the insurance for Lemony Snicket would go through the roof because, God forbid, she was somewhere else and she couldn't get back, and that would affect the production schedule, all that stuff. So um, (laughs) we're like, well, there's no way Vancouver can ever double for Mexico.
1: (laughs) Vancouver can double for a lot of places, but not Mexico. (laughs) Yeah, yeah.
2: And Nicole's like, what about China? And that's how that became the setting that's actually fascinating though because i feel like there's a lot of movies where you can tell like oh this clearly wasn't a script first like this this scene is the first thing that came and then they wrote the script around it and usually that can actually be bad for a film but in the Perfection's mm-hmm. case it's not because there's so much more shit that comes <laughs> afterwards sometimes literally
0: right right right
2: so how did you end up breaking this film
1: because i mean i know as critics one of the things that we really struggled with is how do we talk about this movie without giving things away because obviously you don't want to give away big twists but part of the big selling selling feature of the film is that it's like three fucking films in one
0: yeah it was just richard nicole and i in our office at universal and I don't know if he's ever said this before, but we actually broke a different version of The Perfection and threw that away, and then we broke the second version, which is the version that we shot. Okay, um, and now wait, pause. Sorry,
1: you're going to tell us what that <laughs> first version was.
0: <laughs> I mean, honestly, it was just, like, strictly a Contagion film. Like, it was oh, the bus
1: sequence, oh. but it but it was full-on
0: Contagion. They were, like, Doctors Without Borders. They were in Mexico, And, you know, somebody on the bus gets really, really sick with like this virus that basically turns them into a zombie. And I, I remember the big twist, like, this is so ridiculous. And I can't believe that we actually broke a whole movie around this. But I mean, again, it was right after Trump had gotten elected. And, you know, he was peddling in xenophobia. And, you know, everybody on the outside is the enemy. And we need a wall to contain, you know, civility. But I think the joke in the movie was you had a character who refused to like eat any of the food or drink any of the water in Mexico. And what you found out in the third act was the kind bars that he had shipped to Mexico were the things that were actually contaminated. (laughs) 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 The the energy bars that he was eating throughout the whole movie is what turned him into the zombie. So yeah, believe it or not, that was the first version and we threw that away. Thank God. (laughs) But we kept the bus sequence and, You know, it was so funny because it was, it really was trial and error. Like Richard kept on saying, okay, like this bus sequence is really gross, but I want to do something high end and I want to shoot pretty things and I don't want to be on an ugly bus the whole movie. And he had pitched like, What if we set it like at a film festival and like we're in like Monaco or something and someplace really, you know, European and glamorous and just the production value would be really stunning. And then Nicole had pitched, she's like, well, no, I don't like a, I hate Hollywood movies about Hollywood movies. So, you know, let's, let's make it, you know, one degree away. And maybe it's like some sort of like music competition. And she just kept on talking about Hillary and Jackie and how (laughs) and and that's honestly how that
1: That's when the cello enters the picture. (laughs) Yeah,
0: yeah. So it was just a lot of trial and error. And You know, Richard had, I had never seen The Handmaiden, and he had showed us that, and he's like, I love this because it's like three movies in one, and just when you think you have it figured out, we throw this giant red wrench in the equation where it's not only a twist, like, we've literally ratcheted the movie into another film, and he just kind of kept on talking about that as being the reference point for how he wanted to make this movie, so... I guess we did kind of break it in the three mini-movies, or four, I guess. It's <laughs>
2: definitely hard to market. I remember being pleased with the trailer, because even though they do show the bus scene in the trailer, it's like, well, if you're going to spoil one thing, like that's probably yeah. the best thing to spoil. Yeah. I am forever grateful for my experience watching it at Fantastic Fest, because it was added to the dock, I want to say, like the week of the festival. Like, it wasn't even... Yeah. And no one knew what to expect, and it, but it was playing up against, um oh fuck, what's the Barbarian Sound Studio guy um, in Fabric?
0: Oh, in Fabric, yeah. Yeah,
2: it was playing up against that, and I was like, well, I've never seen any of this guy's movies, so I'm going to go take a chance on the perfection. And it was such a surprise, and that's the best way to watch that movie. I feel like had it gotten, like like, had it gone theatrical, which I don't know if it ever given the subject matter, if it ever would have been, I mean, you you know better than I do about whatever deals y'all were making, but I imagine that the marketing would have been something like, something like The Hunt, how it, how it did that, you know, where it's like, oh, like, right. we can't tell you anything about this movie because it's so shocking.
0: <laughs> right, right. Yeah. I mean, it, it really is impossible to market this film. It is. And it was a big discussion at Netflix. And all of us had gotten into many arguments about what can you show in the trailer and what are we hiding and Mm -hmm. you know you have to give them something you know and Mm -hmm. i remember the cleaver moment in the trailer like i fought it tooth and nail i was like you guys that is like one of the biggest jaw droppers in the entire film (laughs) like you can't know that she's like gaslighting her. you just can't but anyway i think they made the right call because that's what got eyes on it so
2: well yeah, I mean it's it's definitely a word of mouth movie, and I mean, I trust me, I made every single one of my family members watch it because I was like, Y'all just don't, don't don't read about it just 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 watch it, just put it on for you uh-huh, yeah, <laughs> yeah,
1: I mean, I think you're selling yourself short if you're suggesting that it was just that the marketing did a good job because like if the movie didn't oh, yeah. have what's in there, like if it didn't have the rape revenge qualities, if it didn't have the sudden twists, if it didn't have the playful nature in the bracketing device between the different storylines. I mean, I think people would probably still like it, but I don't think it would have gotten the buzz that it got coming out of film festivals. Like, this was 100% my most anticipated film of the year because people would not shut the fuck up about it. <laughs> Everyone was just like, I can't believe I got He's to see the perfection." He's talking about and- me. <laughs> You and everybody else who saw it at Fantastic Fest Because the rest of us literally just had to sit And wait for it to casually drop on Netflix Right, right Well, because it it didn't have a
2: distributor at at the festival
1: Yeah, I'm not going to rail on Netflix I think it's doing valuable work In making sure that certain types of films get seen I don't know what this film would have done Had it gone theatrical Like, I appreciated being able to have Crazy reactions along
2: with everybody else online that day But it it plays so well in a theater though like if yeah. to see that movie with a crowd know. it's like oh it's one yeah. of the kind yeah like i yeah. i got to
1: sit here on the couch and watch it with my husband playing a video game and looking at it over the corner <laughs> every time i would be like holy shit what the fuck
0: what is what is going on what <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah i mean it's it's a double edged sword like by doing a film or having Netflix release your film, you're guaranteeing eyeballs, you know, but at the same time, you're robbing audiences of a theatrical movie experience. And yeah. you know, I think you could have made a case for either way, whether it would have you know, been a success or failure in, in with a theatrical release. So, mm,
2: yeah.
1: So can we talk a little bit about your cast? Sure. But yeah, like, how did you end up getting Stephen Webber and Logan Browning and that kind of stuff?
0: Well, Stephen is a very good friend of Richard's. So that's how that happened. They <laughs> had been looking to do something together, or maybe they had done something in the past, but it had been a while since they worked together. And and I remember when we had written the part of Anton, like um, Richard had brought up Stephen, and I was like, he's a great actor, but God, do you think he could do this? Like, I'm used to him... <laughs> from being on wings right i mean like he, for whatever reason is the last person i would have thought you know could have pulled this off but he is so fucking good in this movie and is so creepy and mm-hmm. that moment where he turns when he's with um allison when she basically said i'm i'm protect," i was protecting her from you and just that look in his eye is just so chilling and he's so good in this movie mm-hmm and Logan is, too. I mean, she's, she's incredible. I mean, the three leads, you know, couldn't be nicer and couldn't have done a better job in this
2: film. Oh, it's a trifecta for sure. Yeah, yeah. They're mm-hmm. all really, really good. <laughs> Very happy. Joe, do you have any more? I have one more.
1: Okay. And then we'll let you go. Again, I'm always curious with endings. Yeah. One of the things that I heard people talk about was they wanted more insight into the nature of the titular perfection and whether or not the cycle of abuse that's documented in the film, like, are we meant to assume that everyone in that school had been sexually abused in order to achieve that perfection?
2: Or is it special cases?
0: Yeah, I mean, the, the, what, what we had in, had meant... To illustrate was anyone who was um, talented enough to play downstairs in the chapel, that's when, you know, they would endure the abuse. So anyone that was practicing upstairs, like in the kind of group classes, he he wasn't abusing, but it was only when the special students who really showed promise, he would go downstairs and he, he and um, Theus and Jeffrey, you know, would teach those girls in the chapel and use certain techniques to get them to rise to the
1: occasion mm-hmm. if you will it's just so interesting because the more i think about it the more i can see elements of like folk horror in the way that the chapel is set up and the way that they treat it almost like a religious deity but then right. obviously you know you reference the handmaiden we talked in the main feed a little bit about murders. I can see the East Asian horror influence in the way that it's like, it doesn't even matter if this is an actual religion, if they really think that they're going to ascend to something. It's the practice of the sexual violence that makes, I don't want to say it's interesting, but that this is what everybody is believing in.
0: Right. And when we were writing this too, I think The Keepers had just dropped on Netflix too, and the three of us were obsessed with it and just the idea of... You know, this ritualized abuse that happens in the Catholic Church on a regular basis
1: mm-hmm. was kind of fodder
0: for this, too, mm. you know?
1: Yeah. Um, if people haven't checked out The Keepers, it's a really disturbing docuseries, and it's definitely yeah.
2: worth your time. That's the, the, the where the nun gets killed, right? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Okay, cool. It's yeah. so much more convoluted than that, though. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I mean, yeah. <laughs> I'm, sure, I'm sure I'm reducing it just a bit, but y- y- you get me. <laughs> yeah um
1: okay so you teased it briefly on the main feed but eric do you want to tell us again what the name of your next project is maybe if we have like a date about when we might expect it or what stage it's at
0: sure so it's a new horror feature that i co-wrote with nicole snyder and richard Shepard, the same team that uh we did the perfection and stacy reese our producer who Produce the perfection is going to produce this. We just set it up at Sony. It's called Her Name is Retribution. It's another twisty, turny kind of psychological horror film where just when you think you understand what you're watching, you know, you realize, oh God, you know, that's not (laughs) what this movie is. And this one we set in Paris because we want to go to Paris. I mean, that's the. 100% hundred percent reality we want to shoot in Paris so I don't know when when we're gonna do it uh, we just did a rewrite for Sony so we're waiting to kind of get their thoughts on the rewrite and you know inevitably they have more notes and tweaks and once they're ready to sign off then they greenlight the film and you can start shooting it so we'll see hopefully it's around the corner
1: right yeah
2: <laughs> fingers crossed.
1: I think everybody is hoping that production
2: can resume shortly. I know. It's really crazy. Well, yeah. Yeah, we don't know. We don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. So it's, it's super, right. super fun, especially if you're no. a planner like me. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I'm in the same boat. It's excruciating. So mm. it is what it is. Well, thank you so much, Eric. I, I know you've given us a lot of your time because you not only did a full-length episode, but you also were kind enough to come back for this interview. So thank you again for talking to us about our guilty pleasure. I, I'm not even going to say guilty pleasure. Of I'm not guilty. It's a pleasure. Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm not guilty <laughs> about it at all. Um, and, of course, The Perfection, which is one of the best films to come out last year. Yeah.
0: Well, thanks, guys. I appreciate the kind words, and I had fun, and thank you for having me.
2: Uh, of course. Okay. All right. Well, um, on that note, then we'll uh, cross out this interview. I don't know how to do that because we've never done an interview before. <laughs> this is true. Yeah. Uh, so we'll just cross out horror queers. <laughs> okay. <laughs>
0: podcast network home of creepy from disturbing and
1: terrifying creepy pastas scp archives weekly full cast storytelling the horror queers genre commentary from an lgbtq perspective and the boo crew
0: horror interviews listen free wherever you stream audio and at bloodydisgusting.com slash podcasts